My name is Eric Hundley, and this is Unstructured, where we have dynamic and formal conversations with some amazing people. All right. Today, we are joined by somebody who's in a unique field. I've heard the term before of skip tracing, but I did not necessarily know what exactly it is, let alone that it's actually a profession. And I have literally the Skip Guru himself, Alex Skip Guru Price, to help teach me what Skip Tracers do. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Eric? I'm doing great, too. I, I'm, I'm really eager to learn because I'm just curious what, what exactly the field entails. You know, I have visions in my mind of like bounty hunters or repo men or private detectives. Where do you fall in that pack or do you at all? Uh, yes, sir. And if, if you think about skip tracing in its most simplistic form, it's um, in most cases finding people that don't want to be found for any number of reasons. You can include law enforcement in that. Um, you can't think of, I can't think of any industry that doesn't do some form of skip tracing. It's just finding, finding a human and the purpose for finding that human can be a multitude of different things. If you've ever worked on your high school reunion and you were trying to find different classmates, that can be considered skip tracing. Law, enfor law enforcement trying to find witnesses, insurance companies trying to find uh, insureds or witnesses, beneficiaries, that can be considered skip tracing. So when I travel all over the country and, and teach skip tracing, I, I very rarely will ask my audience what they do because everybody performs the task. Their end result in mind just changes from industry to industry. Some may want to collect a debt. Some may want to collect a body, as you said, in bounty hunting or law enforcement. Some might want to serve papers, any number of different uh, genres or, or what, I, what I usually refer to as verticals. Hmm. That's fascinating. And so it's not always necessarily, I hate to say the word nefarious, but it, it's not always a negative. I thought that your reunion example is interesting. Have you ever done Anything like that, or could a, maybe a skip tracer help somebody find their adopted or actual parents or something? Uh, yes, sir, and I'm I'm sure there's many people in in the listening and viewing audience that have seen Oprah or Phil Donahue over the years, or any number of these different talk shows where they reunite um, family members that haven't seen each other in 30 years or something like that. Behind the scenes of that show was someone that performed the, the task of skip tracing to find that individual and then probably notify him to say a relative, distant relative or something is looking to reconnect and then they get all their 
of course, television permissions. Okay, now, I was always under the impression, I'm sure many people are as well, that that would be quite often a private investigator or a private detective who might track somebody down. Would they turn that task over to a skip tracer, or would that be just one of the duties that they may actually do themselves? That would be one of the uh, skill sets that pretty much any private investigator would, would have in their tool belt. Okay, so how does the specialization work out? Or are you a private investigator and you do you do all the rest as well? Uh, no, sir, I'm, I'm not. Um, there are some states for a skip tracer to just depends on a state or local regulation. You know, the state of Florida has a licensing requirement that you have to have a PI license to do skip tracing. Some states do, some don't. Uh, my state doesn't require it. I, I did have one and was actually one of the instructors for a 40-hour 40, 40 mandatory class that you had to take in order to get your basic licensing back in the day in Florida. But currently, I'm kind of retired from active skip tracing. I don't take new, you know, I don't take cases and work them. I, I travel the country and teach it. Okay. And so can you give me some scenarios? Because, you know, it, it's just interesting to learn, like, would a private investigator ever use you or, or would you more often be um, a repo person or um, insurance company or, or what? Um, I have worked for every genre that we've discussed at at one point in time. I have, have even helped my own high school alma mater in um, reunion time to to find different people. Now, of course, with with the invention of social media, it makes anybody somewhat of a skip tracer if they want to find an old girlfriend or boyfriend. And I'll give you a great example. Mm -hmm. You're a podcaster. Sure. You might have a guest in mind, but you don't have any way to contact that guest. Or you mm -hmm. may have a subject matter in mind, but you don't know the, the correct person to cover that subject matter. So you do the necessary research and, reach out to people that are in that particular individual's orbit. Because mm. I'm sure you, in your cell phone, you don't have the you know cell phone number for every guest you've ever had. You had to do a little <laughs> research and reaching out in sure. order to make contact with them. Very similar. Well, and, and that's a, actually a great point. Um, do you... Uh, one thing that comes to my mind is a drawback. Like you mentioned a finding ex-girlfriend or, or whatever. Do you ever get contact or have you run into a scenario where you might accidentally help a stalker? And how do you prevent that? Uh, no, because for me personally, I have always worked in the corporate environment where there was either a legal or contractual mm -hmm. obligation. So, that's a lot different than somebody that may work and accept 
cases for the general public, which can lead to some pretty tricky situations like you just said. Okay, so that is actually a danger. I'm not just over, you know, imagining things. You're, you're not overthinking it at all. Uh, there was a, a young actress years ago, um, and her first name just escaped me. Her name was Schaefer, and mm-hmm. she was the next big thing out in Hollywood. And she, of course, she was on a television show with Pam Dauber from Mork and Mindy. Mm-hmm. And it was called My Sister Sam was the name of the show. And she was the next big it thing in Hollywood. And she had a stalker who, uh, as the story goes, got her tag number and went to a private investigator who mm-hmm. dealt with the public and got the address off of her tag. And he went to the house, waited for her, and she was uh, murdered by that stalker. Wow. Which, anything- caused, which caused a thousand and one different new regulations in the state of California. This was back sometime in the 90s. Do, do these regulations actually prevent anything? I mean, I, I worry with the information out there. And I mean, I worry too much of, probably about Facebook and, and social media and shadow profiles and that we're being tracked all the time. Like, I have a Facebook account. I don't care. It's right out there. But what if I did care and I didn't want to be on Facebook? If I'm in a group photo with other people and then they mention my name in that photo and it's in different profiles, you can build a shadow profile of who I am and where I am, correct? Yes, sir. And uh, I have a very dear friend of mine who travels the world and uh teaches investigations and cybersecurity and much more. And he, he has a class that he teaches called privacy is dead. Get over it you know, because of social, because of social media. That's such a charming name. Oh, and lovely. So, you know, you don't even your, your cell phones now, your tablets, uh, all of that comes with Facebook preloaded on it. And you don't even have to log into the app for it to be tracking you as some of the uh, scary things. So I worry about the same thing, but because of what I what I do, I don't even try to hide any of it. I have a Facebook. I have a um, a blog that I don't hide. I have a LinkedIn. I have a Twitter. You know. So out of curiosity, I have been told by somebody who's a ex felon, you know, he, he served his time. He got out, you know, he's on the right side of things. And he helps people who are going into prison, helps them with transition, things like that. One of the things that he will do though, is when somebody gets out of prison, for example, they have a tough time getting a job. Because, you know, any Google search, their name will be right on top of something. One way they he will teach to clean up people's records is to create a bunch of content about them, be it appearances, charities, you know, just overload the web. Is that same kind of thing effective for people who are 
if not trying to hide, trying to obfuscate the information by having so much, like they could be at one of 50 addresses versus, you know, easier to track down. Does that make sense? Or is that something that can be done? It, it does. And, and when, when you're doing a, a skip trace, I, I often will give an analogy of it's like mining for gold. Mm-hmm. You've got to go through a lot of mud and, and dirt to, to find a gold nugget. So as you're searching, as you're gathering data or information, you have to sort through a lot of information to figure out what is valid, what's a dead end, what you need to keep, what you can toss away. Because you have so many variables with name matches, you know, I'm I'm not the only Alex Price in the United States with the same (laughs) date of birth. Wow. I could see that. Price isn't uncommon. Right. Um, There's actually an interesting backstory. I had a previous guest on, Jack Barsky, and he was an undercover KGB spy living in the United States. He's the longest um, successful undercover. I think it was 16 years undetected, which is pretty good. And ironically, the only reason he was ever caught was his name was Jack Barsky. So when the so, well, high-level Soviet person defected and brought files with him, there was a record that there was a Jack Barsky in the United States. Now, if he was Alex Price, they never would have found him. Or, or John Smith. Or, or Jose Garcia or Fan Tran. Or, right. Because he stopped it, doing it. So by the time they went looking, you know, he hadn't been a spy he, for t- several years. He had quit and just made a life of his own. And I don't think they ever would have figured it out. Yeah. As, as you go into different cultures, to us, some names seem very unique. But in their culture, it's no different than Smith. Well, true, true. Like uh, uh, Vietnamese Nguyen, I think is a... Nguyen or Tran. Tran, okay. And Wong, I think, is pretty popular for China. You know, and and you think uh, Latin names, you know, Garcia, Gonzalez, etc. So that's what I mean by as you're looking for somebody, you don't often get... Hunley or right. the gentleman's name you just mentioned, which was a very interesting interview that you did with him. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I was just thinking about that, too, when you're tracing the names. My wife does genealogy, and I imagine that's sort of a skip trace in the past. It very much is. She's following, she's following leads or she's following breadcrumbs mm-hmm. from one generation to the next. And there has to be some sort in her line of work, some sort of validation to where she can connect this great, great, great grandparent to this person, to this person. That's very similar. Okay. Yeah. I just thought of that because she runs into problems where she'll look at work that's already done. And find people who are the parent that were born after the person is supposedly the son. It's like, are you guys paying attention to dates? 
You know, that's not physically possible. Or they got married at three years old. No, that can't be the same person. And things of that sort. So it's very interesting to, you know, try to find actual death records and marriage records and and making sure the names line up. Like, okay, you've got two points of contact, that marriage and that death or that census, and it's probably them. Things line up. The age seems right. It feels okay. Is that something you have to do, especially when you're getting into fairly common names? You know, the the um, John Smith of of Scranton, Ohio, of the generation who went to the school, fill in the blank. Uh, yes, sir. You would have certain validators, a, a date of birth, a, a, a known address that then links to a past address, a new address. Uh, the same individuals connected to an address. So an example of that would be, I know that Eric Hunley lived at 123 Main Street, Valdosta, Georgia, but at that mm-hmm. address also was a Phyllis Hunley, and mm-hmm. now Phyllis Hunley is associated with 8819 Dawes Road in Gwinnett, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Well, if I have more than one address for Phyllis Hunley that I can trace back to you using at one time, then I do a simple uh, see what age she is. Statistically, we all date or marry someone within a three to five year age range of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I can do a pretty good guesstimation that if she falls into that realm, that Phyllis is one of three people in your life. She's right. either a wife, an ex-wife, or on the sister. very outside chance, maybe a sister. Or I, I guess it could be an in-law, too, potentially, if I had Depending a Depending upon the age. It'd be real yeah, hard true. to find an in-law that was three years, five, three to five years forward or backwards of your age. I meant if I had a brother, Jim Hunley, and he married a Phyllis. Yes, that that kind of in law. But it sorry. would be somebody that is connected to mm-hmm. your inner circle. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back in time. How did you get into this field? For myself, I was probably born into it. My dad was a Chevrolet dealer uh, in uh, Florida. And him and his partner had dealerships dealerships uh, scattered from uh, Fort Lauderdale all the way to Gainesville, Florida. And when a a deal would go bad, uh, the finance company most of the time would put the burden on the selling dealer. And I went on my first repossession when I was eight years old. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. What was that like? Uh, it, for an eight-year-old, it was pretty cool. My dad went to the door. I mean, I, I vividly remember it like it was yesterday. My dad went to the door and talked to the guy because the guy bounced a payment on, you know, bounced, bounced the down payment to, for the car to General Motors or GMAC at the time. Mm-hmm. And while he was talking to him, a little eight-year-old boy sitting on two telephone books backed the car out of the driveway. <laughs> so you took the car out? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, my goodness. Um, 
when I got out of the army, there wasn't many jobs available in the civilian world for my particular skill sets in the army. What so, you? pardon what was me. Your MOS? What was your MOS? Uh, 11 Bravo Airborne. Oh, okay. And then I went to sniper school, so it was become a law enforcement officer or not much else. Yeah. And I found out what those guys made, and it was just instantly, yeah, this uh, this isn't going to work. <laughs> so I was a bouncer at night back then, and uh, I met this young lady that I thought would be, I thought was special. And she was, because 35 years later, we're still married with two kids. Well, my dad said, if she's special, you need to get civilized. And he got <laughs> me a job at the bank. And I was what was known as a field rep back then. And that position was basically someone that just knocked on doors and said, give me your keys or the payment. Mm. And I did that for a local bank in South Florida for a few years. And one day I was in the in the branch talking to the manager and I asked him what happened to all these files where the people are never where you send me. And he explained what the word skip was. And mm. I said, well, that'd be interesting. Do you mind if I work a few of those? And he laughed at me and said, yeah, I tell you what, for every one you find, we'll give you a hundred bucks cash as a bonus. Mm. Probably three or four months later, I was making more in bonus than I was in the salary. That kind of started really? the career. Well, okay, that's fascinating. What um, what is your procedure since you teach? I mean, can you give us an example of a a skip? You know, without any names, I, we don't need that. But you can give me an idea with made up names. Um, you mean a good old fashioned war story? Yeah. Okay. There's not a skip tracer alive, a bounty hunter, a police officer from. Uh, the great Robin Drake to myself that doesn't have a bunch of war stories. <laughs> uh, I'll change the names up. Uh, yeah, please do. I don't want to ever get into it because it's not that important. Yeah. Uh, the guy's name is John C. Dever. Okay. And he had an automobile financed with the company that I worked for at the time. And he went, multiple payments past due and it was my job to find him. And you have to remember back in this, this day and age back then high tech was having a beeper. Mm. There was no internet, anything. So most of the work was done a over the phone and you could only do so much work over the phone before you had to hit the streets and go to libraries, use microfish uh, to gather information. So this individual, I found out, had a very passionate hobby for uh, horse racing, and it was the horse racing that was um, where they sit in the little buggies, mm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. behind the horse, carriage, whatever yeah. you call it. Right. And there was only a... one horse track in South Florida that did that, so I began going to the uh, track every day, multiple times a day, looking for this particular vehicle with a tag. And one day I looked up on it and there was five or six gentlemen standing around it. And I walked up and 
told him, could, you know, you please move because I was young and a power lifter back then and 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And they told me I couldn't have the car. It was Pinky's car. And I said, no, it belongs to the bank. I'm taking it. We can do this two ways, easy way or hard way. As I'm arguing with them, if you remember back in, in, in the 90s, the Cadillacs were like, they were called land yachts because they were so big. Sure. Well, a big Cadillac pulled up. And a door opened and a little bitty guy got out. I mean, a little bitty fellow. And this was John Q. Detter. Oh, he's and a jockey. Oh. On the other side of the Cadillac, another door opened and Pinky got out screaming and yelling. And John C. Mm. Detter told me I couldn't have the car. And I told him I was taking it. And unless he made payments, he told me I couldn't have it. And I said, well, I'm taking it. And I stuck my hand out to kind of moving to the side. And he put a Mac 10 uh, machine pistol on my forehead and told me I couldn't have the car. And I told him, you know what? You're right here. And I threw him the keys and left. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Wow. What, what, What did you do next? I waited three or four days and the car was back at the racetrack and nobody was around it. And I had... Because the bank financed it, so they had, you know, keys and so forth to it, and I got in it and drove it off. Okay, so now, did that change your MO, that if there are people standing around a car, you might wait a couple hours? It, it, it all depends. I mean, now, <laughs> yeah, that would probably be the prudent thing to do at 58 years old. But at 25, out of Fort Benning, Georgia, again, you thought you were six foot tall and uh, bulletproof. Yeah, I, I think I'd be going for the prudent. And I think it's called steeplechase. It f- finally popped into my brain. Yeah, the, the little horse and the, the buggy on the back. Yeah, and Flagler Racetrack down in South Florida is, is the the big racetrack that they do that in. I don't even know if it, it's still around. But the the funny thing about that particular story is is a lot of times in in my world, especially back then, Long before mm-hmm. the internet, when satellites hooked up, and you had everything in the world in two seconds at the click of a mouse. <laughs> About two weeks later, that gentleman was on the front page of the newspaper because he had been killed in a shootout, and he was the head of one of the Jamaican posses down in South Florida. Mm. Wow. So you dodged a bullet or bullets quite literally. Uh, I've done it uh, many times. I had a... Uh, another case that down in South Florida back then, um, the Columbia Nationals would just come and go like we went to the grocery store. So there was two customers that they'd only be in town about every 90, 120 days. And I'd go see them and they'd catch their payments up and make me eat dinner with them. And one night I'm watching television with my wife and a news Alert comes on the television. They had just been a massive shootout in downtown Miami with a group known as the Cocaine Cowboys that they've had numerous documentaries on Netflix, etc. Two of the oh, guys, Escobar. Yeah, two of the guys that were that were killed in that shootout were two guys I used to go collect payments from all the time. Oh my God! So what they were paying you in cash? Yeah, most people, when you worked in the field, they they either did cash or or check back then. There was no such thing as an ATM card. 
Oh, good Lord. So what was it? They, they would go, um, you see, I, I haven't had that experience and I'm, I'm an Xer as well, slightly younger, but, and so I know the threshold of going from the phone to the internet and things like that, but I didn't, I never really experienced how a car loan would work. I always thought you filled it out with a check and you sent it in the mail. <laughs> you did, but if you, you, you could also, especially if your car was financed with a local bank, you would just, mm-hmm. you could go through the teller. Um, and make your payment. Because when I started, when I had my first job at the bank in South Florida, we had no computers. We worked off uh, paper collection assignments that printed off a dot matrix printer. The ones that sounded like a machine gun as they go off. Oh, they're still around. Yeah. Just go to a car dealership. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah, they're, they're still around. So, uh, the only way we would know if somebody made the, made their payment is we tell the customer to have the teller call us to tell us they were there and the payment they were making the and the amount. Okay, so you would only be going after the ones who are behind or always in arrears or kind of slow pay or pain in the asses. Uh, back back then, yes, and then, and then it got to the point where where my specialty were the ones that were six eight months and the. You know, the account had been charged off as a bad debt, and that's all I did, or frauds. Mm. Okay, and that's, of course, where the real money was for you, I'm sure. Because I would think that if the margins are small enough, the amount of time you have to put into finding somebody or doing something, it may not pay off. I believe anybody can be found if you're willing to put the time and resources in. In my adult life, I've only ever seen one true skip. Uh, what was that? Uh, the infamous D.B. Cooper. And I don't even know if ah. you could say he's a skip more than a mystery. No, I think they solved him. I, I believe they are very certain who he is. I, I forget. It's a they, they, couple years ago. They have some very good ideas. There have been some new developments in the case. But the reason why I say he's the only true skip and not a Jack the Ripper or someone like that is because he's the only case in American history that the FBI closed the file. Oh, wow. In July of 2016, two weeks after a four-hour miniseries on the History Channel called D.B. Cooper Case Closed, Mm -hmm. uh, two weeks after that, the FBI closed the case. There's not an active agent working the case right now. Interesting. There's a lot. There's a lot of uh, civilian gumshoes right. that still work it, and retired law enforcement. But you still have active agents working the Jimmy Hoffa case. You still have active Scotland Yard agents working the Jack the Ripper case. DB Cooper's mm. the only one that's ever been closed. So that goes back to your statement time and resources in, ends up meaning money. So I'm not oh, going to yeah. spend $5,000 on uh, time and resources on a $500 fee. Right. So business right. 101 that... comes into play. <laughs> and uh, are the margins getting thinner? I mean, as, as time is going on, I mean, I noticed your teaching. I don't know if that's a matter of you're getting tired of being in the field and, and, facing the risk of Mac 10s, or is it also a factor of maybe it's not paying as well as it once did? No, it's still, for me, it just happened to be, I just kind of 
transitioned into that. I, I used to uh, guest speak at a lot of uh, trade shows. As a matter of fact, that's where the whole Skip Guru nickname came from, and it stuck. Um, but I used to, you know, do keynote speaking at different trade shows, and that rolled into, hey, could you come to our office in, in the auto, in the fintech world, in the insurance world, law enforcement? Can you come and do private trainings? Mm. And you reach a certain age and comfort level and responsibilities and kids where all that stuff out in the field is for younger people. So I, I transitioned into teaching and, and writing. I've written a few books on the subject. I wrote the only national certification program in the U.S. on skip tracing. Has it been helpful to you living from the uh, time of the pager, if you will, to now? And as an example, you and I both were in the Army. One of the things we had to do was land nav, which was the bane of many soldiers' existence. I think you would agree that having a GPS on your cell phone is very convenient compared to taking a map and a piece of paper and pacing out steps with a compass. Very much so. And, and I'll take it a step further. I can remember when you and I were young, every phone number that we called, we had memorized. <laughs> now, I couldn't tell you my own daughter's phone number and I paid the bill. I've got her picture and her name on my iPhone and I just press it. I'd have to look it up to give you her number. So, yes, it did, because there was there was a certain amount of knowledge that came from working in the field, uh, communication skills, uh, body language, cultural differences, geographic differences. You, you learned all that in the field. And then once you came in the office and you were just working off a telephone, you could you could apply those skills. So. Today's skip tracer that I, I I don't refer to them so much as skip tracers anymore. I call them uh, cyber tracers. They mm. can gather more information in mere minutes than what I what I could back then in a month. Are they losing the skills though of the interaction? Like like isn't there a certain? Well, I guess as a skip tracer, it's not necessarily your job to go to the location. And and put your hand on the person or, or thing. Very but, um, very rarely. As a skip tracer, it's my my job to find the individual with the contractual obligation or legal obligation, and then whoever I'm working for, whether it's an insurance company, a lien holder, what have you, they have people that go out and actually execute that end result. So they're the ones that are coming face to face with the individual. So because of that, and because we live in a world of 128 characters or less, and mm -hmm. texting, uh, simple conversations are, are a lost art to itself. That's why uh, mutual friends of ours, uh, Greg Hartley, Robin Dreek, the Sure. You know, the behavioral panelist guys, 
are are so valuable to this this generation because they're they're teaching things that this generation hasn't been taught. Yes, and everybody he named has been on this show. So please note. Are you also teaching other skills or those skills in your class? Because I'm I am wondering if occasionally you do actually have to pick up the phone and say, Hey, is Bobby there? Oh, yeah, you most certainly do. And, and yes, sir, I, I teach uh, communication skills, interviewing skills, picking up on somebody's uh, pitch, tone, cadence. Uh, because usually when someone answers a phone and say hello, you've got about three seconds to set some sort of level of, of comfort in order for them to give you another four seconds. And I believe the statistic is if you can keep somebody on the phone for those seven seconds, you can keep them on the phone for 15 minutes. And if I talk to anybody in 15 minutes, I'll know their whole life story. And it's really learning with conversational skills. It's not necessarily detecting uh, deception. It's learning how to use the different types of questions, open-ended questions, close-ended questions, challenge questions, bait questions, when to use them, why, when to insert them in, in a conversation. And if you think about it, it's much like going to that good old used car dealer that's got an answer for everything and can pivot any conversation around on a dime. Yeah, on that, and I have I have one question, and it, this one's not comfortable, but it's something I, I'm always, I guess I have a big heart or I'm a sucker or I, I feel badly. Do you ever get into that situation where you're like, this person's really having a bad run of it and you kind of hate to be doing what you have to do? Uh, many times, many, many, many times. Uh, I have actually in, in my career had to, for one reason or another, find uh, a high school friend, a high school girlfriend, somebody I was in the army with. And there have been many occasions because of my my faith where you got that check in your spirit that said you need to help this person. And I still did my job. But then. I found a way to help the person at the same time. Okay. So I was wondering how you cope with that. I think that's just part of, part of, you know, being human. Okay. I would worry that you could become very cold in that sort of field. If you, if it's no different than somebody in, in, in law enforcement, it, it really depends on what you allow it to become. And I, I I walk in in faith, so I don't allow those things to blacken my heart or hurt the spirit that's within me. Well, fair enough. And I hate to close out on the dark point, so let's close out on a light one. Where would somebody go to get trained to be in the field, or even get trained by the Alex Price himself to? become a skip tracer or just learn the skill? Uh, I have a blog, skipguru.com. Okay. And I have a private uh, Facebook group. And I, again, I, I don't deal with the general public at all. I only deal with people that, you know, have either 
some mm. sort of contractual obligation with somebody, but I have a private Facebook group called skipgurus.com uh, or no okay. skip gurus tribe that mm-hmm. you're a member of. So mm-hmm. those are, are two ways that someone could reach out to me for information training and there's numerous books on the subject go to amazon and just put in skip tracing you'll probably find a couple hundred books i'm i'm not <laughs> i'm not the only game in town i just have been very blessed and very uh favored and made a 35 year career out of it well, fantastic. And maybe someday you can have a book list put together and then people can, you know, have a little bit of a filter or um, I do on, a curation, on, if you will. On my on my blog and perfect on the private Facebook group, I have several different lists that I jokingly refer to as a guru kit. And so awesome. So listeners out there don't think that the whole skip guru thing is just some, you know, egomaniac real quick i'll tell you one last story before we end on where where that where that came from sure as i said earlier i used to do a lot of keynote speaking at different trade shows and i was Mm -hmm. speaking at a trade show in dallas texas and the individual that put on the event was a uh, british gentleman Mm -hmm. and he was also um from uh, he he was Indian, but he was from England. And okay. when he got up to, he was the MC of the event. And when he got up to introduce me, he told everybody that he always strived to bring interesting topics and topical industry experts to his functions. And he was proud today. He had the skip guru because guru is a common term sure. i guess master and and it stuck yeah it's no different than a master carpenter or what have you and mm. it stuck and the, and the funny thing is i have people that i work with i'm the the um director of uh training for a uh, database company called locate smarter and i have people i've known for 20 years that don't call me alex they call me skip so <laughs> it stuck so i decided to brand it Probably smart, especially when there's a lot of competition. But as awesome, Alex, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands, or you can go to unstructuredpod.com, and there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. I did not grow up with very much money. Money's energy. Money is something that really scares me. Yeah, I had about 60 grand in debt. Money isn't the answer. Somebody should just give me a lot of money. My dream was to be the WWE wrestler, but you realize that your dreams change over the years. Money is a tool. It's a key to a gate. And at the other side of the gate is the things that you really want to do with your life. It's the things that matter most to you. It's pursuing those values that make you ultimately happy. Listen to Inspired Money at inspiredmoney.fm. Hey, I'm Studio Steve. And I'm Veronica. And we, and we are, are the, the Podcast. We have a podcast all about podcasting. We cover everything related to the craft. 
how to start a podcast, how to improve a podcast, how to promote a podcast, and how to reach a bigger audience. So come check out our podcast, Pod Sound School. We're on all of the podcast players or on our website, podsoundschool.com. We are dedicated to provide our podskis with up-to-date, easy, and actionable information, sometimes outrageous and always fun. And now, back to your regularly scheduled programming.